Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 108. I'm Jeremy and as always I'm joined with my co-host Jim Casali of GatheringMagic.com. Ed can't be here this week as he is currently setting up for Gen Con and we may have a special guest drop by once again to see uh, how everything's going and check in with us on the state of MTG Finance. This cast is always sponsored by GatheringMagic.com and CoolStuffInc.com who have partnered with us to give away $25 gift cards. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% BIOS bonus, CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. How are you doing, Jim? You know, it wouldn't be a good cast without you messing up the introduction that you've done like a hundred times at this point. A hundred and eight. And you know what, Jim? It wouldn't be a good cast without you here. How have you been, buddy? How was your uh, week off? Um, well, see, you keep saying week off, but I was just working, but not working in my usual uh, very okay state of Florida. Yeah. I was I was uh, I was traveling for my for business, so I was not near my my computer and I didn't bring my like any of my recording equipment, so I wasn't able to uh, phone it in. Ah, I see. Um, yeah, I got to hang out with Ed this week at GP Minneapolis. Uh, I wasn't on site that much. Um, Ed was on site, but every vendor was slammed because there were only six vendors. Everyone ran out of money, money basically the entire weekend. A lot of the vendors were out by Saturday morning. Uh, but I got to say hi to a lot of cartel people. So thanks for saying hi. We actually went to dinner with one of our bigger fans, which was fun. Uh, we went to Manny's Steakhouse, which was amazing. Um, so if you're ever in Minneapolis, go to Manny's because I think I'm going to definitely stop by again for the pro tour this weekend. Um, Ed and I will also be at Gen Con this weekend for anyone that wants to say hi. I believe Ed is working for... Uh, I actually don't know who Ed's working for this weekend. I think it's maybe Hot Sauce, but I'm not quite sure. Um, our sponsors cool stuff will be there as well. And actually while we were at the steakhouse, the cool stuff guys were sitting right next to us, which is pretty funny. Um, cause we all sort of know each other. Other than that though, it was a pretty good, uh, GP, nothing really of MTG finance to, you know, talk about just, you know, thanks for everyone who listens to this podcast. Um, a lot of vendors listen to, which is real interesting, but, uh, we appreciate every single fan from the guy who plays casual 60 to the guy who blings out his uh, vintage deck. So it's always nice to see fans in real life. Um, so yeah, say hi to us at Gen Con. Um, but we did save something for Jim and maybe our guest who may be coming on if he is sober enough to make it later. Um, Commander 18. So Jim, the entire list was spoiled for Commander 2018. And what are your initial reactions to this from a finance and player playable view? So I wrote an article about it um, pretty recently on Gathering Magic, which if you haven't, haven't read it already, uh, shame on you. But basically, um, I'm very surprised with the reprint choice, or really rather the lack of reprints. Um, I kind of expected them to go the route that they've gone the last couple of years, which is put a one at least one premier like highlight level reprint card in every one of the decks because it helps to balance out the the decks and make them equally desirable. Since you have a known quantity, you don't have to worry about the new cards being the only cards that sell the deck. What we have sometimes is when the new cards in the deck are too much better than the other cards and the other new cards in the other decks that the values of the decks get um, 
they're not even, so a lot of stores will sell out of one deck and have too many of other decks, and then people get mad because they're going to raise the price of the deck that's selling out more often. Um, this happened with the last Commander deck, I think. the Well, the last one wasn't so bad. Only the Wizards and the Cat one were a little bit lower, but the other two were about the same. Um, the Dragons and Vampires. But uh, before that, the Atraxa deck sold out way more often because the new cards in that deck were just way more desirable. And the reprints, for the most part, were also pretty good. So we don't want that to happen. Like, it's better for everyone if that doesn't happen. If all the decks are equally desirable because they all have good new cards, they all have good reprint cards, then they get bought in an equal amount of quantity. And then we don't have to worry about, like, you going to your local Target or Walmart or whatever, and there's, like only four of the one deck that nobody wants on the shelf. Um, and then the same thing doesn't happen with, you know, local, your, your local store. So I am, I'm surprised that the reprints were not as good as they could have been. Um, most of the decks, the best like reprint card in the deck is like four or $5, which is a pretty far cry from previous decks, which have had, you know, even if they didn't have a card that was worth more than like seven or eight, they had like multiple four or five dollar cards instead of these, which have like one or two. So, like, the Dragon's deck didn't really have a lot of cards that were reprinted that were very good, but like, it also came with all 10 of the come into play tap try lands, which have a non zero value for people that want to play that. These decks, like, I don't really understand what they were doing with them. Um, the mana and them is kind of bad. Like, they put rarer lands in the last set, but not in this set. And I'm, like, trying to understand what the thought process was. Um, they didn't include a lot of cheaper cards that they could have that wouldn't have, like, caused people to go out and buy too many copies of the deck, but then also didn't include any reprints that people were obviously going to want and haven't been reprinted in a long time. So, like, my biggest problem is, like, we're all the good reprints, and I'm now just afraid that like the decks that don't have as good new cards as other decks are going to be worth a lot more money and be a lot more expensive. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, personally, I was pretty disappointed when I saw the list come out. Um, as Saffron Olive noted, basically they've been scaling back the amount of money reprints in each deck year after year. Um, it was like 12 cards over $3, and then it was like 8 now it's like 4 not including Soul Ring, uh, which isn't really good. Um, but obviously there's cards that are going to spike based off the off of the new Commander spoilers, um, which obviously is what our guest is here to talk about. How's it going, Jason? Hey, glad to be here. And uh, where, where can people find you? Since I know you've been on the cast quite a bit, but uh, you do a lot of MTG Finance content. Yeah, uh, I write MTG Finance articles for MTG Price. I write uh, EDH articles for Gathering Magic. I'm the content manager for EDH Rec, the website, like uh, all the articles on there. That's sort of my fault. Uh, <laughs> and I'm on the Brainstorm Brewery podcast and the Money Draft podcast, uh, one of which casts very infrequently. Yeah, um, we were talking about your initial thoughts on Commander 18 because we actually waited to cover it this week when Jim, who is more in tune with EDH, and yourself would be on. Oh, good. Well, thanks for waiting. So what were your thoughts on the full decklist reveal for 2018? They did not do enough to justify raising the MSRP $5. Now, what we all assumed when we heard they were raising the MSRP, and 
I mean, inflation, whatever, good for them. Uh, what we all heard was, hey, they're going to justify it because we're going to push the envelope a little. And I think we all assumed that to mean pushing the envelope and making the either the, the stuff more powerful or putting more higher value reprints in. Now, in a $35 deck in 2015, they put a worm coil engine. And we're like, good. They understand that a $25 reprint can shrink back down to like 12, go back up to 22 or whatever. Everything's fine. The deck sells well. Everyone's happy. They sell that work. So I kind of thought in the years after, hey, they can do another worm coil engine every year. And so far, they really haven't. And uh, this year, I thought was going to be the year. I thought, good, they're going to justify the MSRP raise by printing more higher value stuff, which they could have easily done. Every There was Enchantress's presence in like the, the Estrid deck. All four decks could have gotten up to three $15 cards, if you ask me. To justify $40 MSRP because the prices would have gone back up. Uh, there would have been less pressure on new stuff that not necessarily that great to, to take all the financial value. So now we're going to see like a $20 treasure nabber probably or something crazy like that. Um, and uh, just generally like the decks would have been attractive. People would have been like, well, hey, look, look what I'm getting. Uh, would have been uh, great to get some of the stuff that there's not really a good way to reprint it because how awkward is Crucible in M19 where there's zero ways to take advantage of it? It's just sort of like, oh, great, I got this in sealed. Yippee. But if you put something like Crucible Worlds in the Lord of Wingray's deck, it makes sense. It fits there. It does work. So I felt like they could have done more. Everybody feels like they could have done more. And uh, the Lord of Wingray's deck is also crap on top of not having any value in it. So... I think they figured out next year, if they're going to charge people an extra five bucks, they should give them something. And it doesn't cost them any money to reprint a card. There's good stuff. The decks are, some of them are pretty good. I'm going to buy them. I'm going to build around them, but they, so what, uh, they're justified. What in your opinion would have made it worth MSRP? Like, would it have specifically been putting something like Sterling Grove in the enchantment deck or top in the top in the top deck matters deck well, or is here's it... the thing they couldn't have top specifically ristic study specifically anything like that that's sort of harder to play against and annoying to play against you don't want to watch some dude in a pre-con dig around with the top when you got a pre-con but i think they could have done if not ristic study they could have done something like greater oromancy privileged position uh you know enchanted evening and a lot of stuff went off just by virtue of not having been reprinted yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, like, once people sit down and start building these decks, like, there are two decks that want exploration, and neither of them got it. Like, that's that's a big problem. And even, like, the low-value, like, cheap things. Like, I expected the Lord Wingrace deck. I expected, is it called Nature's Vengeance? I was like, oh, this is going to be a mashup of a Gitrog monster deck and an Omnath deck. And, and they were going to just gonna put yeah. both of them in there, and then they didn't put either of them in there. Uh, they, they gave us more they gave us more new legendaries which they thought what we wanted in the years past like there are multiple legendaries but they're like a lot of them are one prints or reprints they gave us the jun deck it has lord Windgrace, gyrus waker of corpses thantis the Warweaver, weaver sleeper agent and uh i think there's like maybe one more no that's it that's yeah, a, a lot of new legendaries versus just give us maybe one or two new ones and one or two old ones so I think that the thing that happened with these deck lists is that 
they tried to make it so that you could have cards for all of the legendaries that were in the deck, which mm -hmm. is problematic because they didn't all work together. Like, your Lord Windrace deck doesn't want a Phantas the Warweaver or a Gyrus Waker of Corpses. Like, those are not cards that you're going to put in that deck. They are cards that are in that deck right now, but that's not necessarily what you want to do when you're when you're building around one specific commander. So, well, in the past they've pulled apart a little bit. You've had different ways you can take it. Like you're not going to play whatever the cat thing is in your Mary deck, and vice versa per se. So they're they're like, okay, these kind of all work together, but you could pick one and build in that direction. But this year the themes are so vague that it seems like they're way pulling apart. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I noticed the most is like the Esper deck has like a bunch of cards that care about the top card of your library and then like a bunch of ninjas and <laughs> and like I don't understand I don't understand like High Priest Dependence is definitely there so that you can get your ninjas to ninjutsu, right? But why why do your ninjas care about the top cards of your library? Like, why doesn't the ninja care about the top? Well, I mean, it kind of does, but, like, why do we have so many cards in this deck that care about getting our ninjas through? Why didn't we... I See, I, I was I was kind of expecting him to pick, like, one of the legendary things, like maybe just the Planeswalker, and build a deck around the Planeswalker, and then have a couple other cards that are just cool in the decks. But they tried to put, like, a bunch of cards that are in the decks that, like, were cool with the other things, but... Then they just none of not nobody has enough of anything to make anyone happy. They've tried to do that in the past, and they always did a much better job than they did this year. Like the decks have always been sort of like you can build around any of these things, but here's the main thing, and you know all the cards could be played in the deck with the main thing. But this year, it feels like only the Sahili deck did a good job of that. Where I would play Brutaclyde Antonos in the Sahili deck per se. But I want to build around Brutaclad and include maybe 70% of the cards from the, the Sahili deck. And right. Still and build I, a new Brutaclad deck. And, and, but it, this year, everything's a mess. There, there's nothing from the Eryxmethes deck that I would put in Astrid and vice versa. Right. And like that's the other thing is like those three commanders, the three uh, is it ones, all care about artifacts. Yeah. They all have a unified purpose. They all care about artifacts in some capacity. They right? vaguely care about the same thing. But specifically, scale differently. Right. So, like the Brutaclad decks, like yeah, I mean, Juara would be fine in that, but also you build it a, a different way. But what do you care about land stuff? Like you're making everybody attack you with the Thantis deck, but you don't care about that with the Gyrus deck. I don't, I don't know. I feel like the the theme was a little bit different, and then they wedged in the lands matter thing at the last minute. So they had they're like, ah, what do you do at that point? You get a new landfall card and nesting dragon, you know, and then you reprint um, Avenger Zendikar, which they're probably gonna do anyway because you always reprint Avenger Zendikar. And hey, Varchild makes people attack you and doesn't care about lands, so at the last minute, whatever, let's just change gears. And it just, it felt really clumsy. And I think that's what people are responding to because there are good cards in that deck. And I don't think anyone gives a shit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Would you have preferred that they just made the deck actual lands matters as like a new way to explore, uh, like the design space, or would you have preferred that they just kept those cards out and made it into a more normal Jun deck? 
I would have preferred that they had decided what they were doing the whole time and stuck with it. Cause it okay. feels like this wasn't always a land matters thing, because if you'd started with the, the, the theme of lands matter from the very beginning, you would have picked totally different reprints than they picked. Yeah. yeah. Like so, get truck or something. Yeah. Some of this looks like they were like, yeah, let's do lands matters. And then they were like, well, we don't have anything that works with gyrus waker of corpses. And my opinion on that is, just don't just just have those like have those sweet legendary creatures in that deck and like when people want to build the, the deck around the planeswalker or whatever you could take those cards out and put them in a different deck because that's what most people want to do anyway right like you don't want to have to have all three of them you want to you want to build like, a different deck for each of them and sometimes a card feels wedged in like tie doesn't scale with the rest of the dragon deck at all but who gives a shit tie great and that's a that's something that competitive players are playing more. It's a different complexity than the rest of the deck. You could play Tigam kinda in the dragon deck, and it's just sort of a card that you're like, eh, there's a weird thing. Oh, I got a couple instants, I'll play it, whatever. You know, but for the most part, it was just sort of in the deck. It felt wedged in there, but we were so glad that we got a cool card like Tigam that we didn't really mind. So I don't know why they felt like they needed to pull that much in that direction. Xantia kind of feels like the tag him in that deck. They're like, yeah, whatever. It's a cool thing. People will just flake this card off that deck and build a completely new thing around it. It's a different complexity level than the rest of the deck. And that's fine. It's just a card in there that some people will understand it when they draw it. But this is for people of all skill levels. Right. I don't know what's going to go on with the value of these because there's such a disparity right now. There's a $40 pre-reprint disparity between the most expensive deck, which is the uh, the Esper one, and the least expensive deck, which is the... Uh, the, um, the actually, Estrid and Jund are pretty much within $2 of each other. But I think Estrid is actually the best deck, and I think it's got the best reprints because I think... Um, Enchantress's presence and um, Bear Umbra will both recover in price. Yeah, I, I I noticed that too. I was like the the Estrid the the Bant deck looked to me on paper like one of the better ones, if not the best one. But yeah. I don't. Maybe people are just not interested in doing an Enchantress thing. I don't know. Like, there's a couple of cards like Ever Watching Threshold. I think could be like another heuristic study at some point in time because like it's so disincentivizes people from attacking you it's almost actually better than like ghostly prisoner propaganda yeah it's almost like a a snake bite type card yeah and like that's the kind of card that people will have to play with before they realize how good it is like when um the last set of commander decks came out like the wizard deck i think was like one of the ones i saw hype the most people were most excited about it and then realized that like Inala doesn't really isn't really good enough to do a whole wizard deck around, and the other yeah. ones actually just had better abilities. Like the cat was actually like quite good, despite people thinking, "Oh, cats are kind of a lame tribe" or whatever. But it it wasn't a cat tribe at all. So all the cards people bought, they're like, "Oh, cats! Let's buy waiting in the weeds and shit like that." And then you got a yeah. card that like it is a total nonbo with that. You get a card with who's them and its ability incentivizes you to have one creature. You got Miri, which incentivizes like a dueling grounds type deal with like mono creature combat. So it's really funny how they're like cats, but not like cats have ever been in the past. 
This would be like slivers that take ability away from your opponent's goblins or something like that. Yeah, they say slivers, and your other slivers give them abilities, but they don't really work. So right. if you, if right, you thought they... building like getting a sliver hive would be good, eh, it wasn't. Right, and I think that they did a better job of like not shoehorning things into those decks that were specifically for the other commanders that were a detriment to the rest of the deck. Like, there's no cards that are specifically for Miri or specifically for Nazan that negatively impact your Arabo deck. Yeah. Right? Whereas, like... If no, not those, per se. Yeah, like, if you wanted to play the Esper deck and you wanted to play with Varina Lich Queen, there's, like, no zombies in your deck. Like, none of these creatures <laughs> are zombies. But she makes zombies. It's fine. Which would have been fine, but then they, like... There's a couple of zombies that, and a couple of things that make zombies, and then I'm just like, what are we doing? Why is it like this? Like, why is there Dusk Mantle Seer and Ninja of the Deep Hours in this deck? I don't understand. Who is this for? What is this supposed to do? Like, I'm just, I'm just at a loss of like trying to figure out what happened here. Yeah, I don't. This was, this was real weird. It just it seems like they forgot what they did last year. They didn't build on what they did last year because last year the decks were pretty successful. Like I didn't like the Arabo one, but like I thought the rest of them were cool and had something for everybody. You know? I thought even if you don't want to build around Waisatora and didn't think that was a good fit for the deck per se, like people built a Waisatora deck and it, it worked fine. And I felt like the value was there a lot. And I, I feel like the cards that we're gonna recover have recovered. There are so many like $1 cards that are going to be a quarter forever that I, they can say, oh, it's this much value. But if you don't have enough po uh, like above $5 cards that will recover, then you could say the value is whatever you want, especially being like, we think the Planeswalkers will be 20, which is what I think they thought. I think they looked at Teferi and thought, oh, the Planeswalkers will be good. And they don't realize that Nahiri's six bucks. So... I who who knows what they were thinking. They certainly didn't call any of us. A ten minute phone call with any one of us in the set would have been a lot better. I think, not because we're good set designers, but because we're like, here's what you need to make sure you do to make people feel okay paying forty bucks. Well, for like what it's yeah, for what it's worth, they tried to alleviate the bad cards in the set by giving Corbin a card that was spoiled before he could release it anyway. Oh, well, so. I don't feel bad because uh, EDH Rec got a card despite me working there, and it was a bulk <laughs> rare reprint. So I don't feel bad for Corbin having a good card that got spoiled when uh, no one was going to spoil Winds of Wrath. <laughs> yeah. Um, so take that, Corbin. Anything else you guys want to touch on in Commander 18 before we move on? Um, uh, yeah, I kind of want to talk about like, white cards about this. Yeah, as I was gonna say, we could do a whole episode about yeah, this. We, like, about eighty percent of our questions this week from viewers is about Commander eighteen. Oh, perfect! It's like can crazy. Just, yeah, let's let's well, hit some questions then. Yeah, why don't we do that? And if there's anything that we wanted to address that they haven't covered, we could do it then. But let's, yeah. All right, so let's answer some questions here. Um, this is not Wait, the credit. Uh, I was about to say, never. Go ahead. This is not the credit winner. We'll get to that in a second. But there's a ton of Commander questions. Uh, which, of course, Jason is overqualified to answer. But uh, uh, these might be some softballs. Um, all right. 
One of them said, what could have been done to remedy this? We already just went over that. Uh, the next one is from Chris Lloyd. I'm interested in some singles from Commander 18. I know the usual time frame for when singles from sets that come in packs usually bottom out, but I'm not sure about when to buy the Commander singles. Any tips you could give on the best time to buy Commander 2018 singles would be appreciated. Well, um, it really depends on the single. If it's if it's something new, um, it, it might not go down as much over the, the time frame. But usually, peak supply is a couple of months. Um, it used to be confounded by the fact that these were released closer to Christmas, so the like the uh, the price depression season was longer because as you get closer to Christmas, people just kind of held off, and then you got like another infusion of people asking for these for Christmas presents. Them coming out in August is real awkward, and uh, it's going to be basically by the time the next set comes out, people will stop caring about this, and the, the prices that are going to rebound are going to start to rebound, I think. So maybe a month and a half, two months. Yeah, I don't know. It depends. My, my philosophy on this is if you want singles from the decks, a lot of the times the like the cost of a deck at MSRP is almost the cost of the singles you're going to buy and then you get the other like 97 cards with it. So, if you want a lot of different singles from different decks, maybe don't do that, but if you're like, "Oh, I really want the Sphinx and the Zombie Lady and uh the Ninja Commander, just buy the Esper deck. You're probably going to be cheaper than trying to go out and buy all those cards individually, especially if they're new cards like but if, if you're, you're someone who wants four Wind Grace Judgments for all your decks and you want ten Forge of Heroes for all your decks, you got slightly different goals. If you're trying to... Yeah, like, that's a good I, point. I could use multiple copies of Esther's Invocation and Myth Unbound, for example. So if you're going to buy singles, I, I feel like that's a good time frame. But I think uh, the, the most efficient way to just get the most cards for your buck is just pay the the MSRP. And I don't think any of these decks are good enough that your LGS is going to charge 70 bucks a or whatever, like they were doing with the uh, the Atraxa deck. I don't think any of these is that much better than the rest. Uh, the Esper deck could, you could get gouged on that. So maybe, I don't know. I pre-ordered uh, a, a four set and was considering canceling, but I feel like the value's there. Just I'm happy I paid something like 30 bucks a piece. So, so here I was about to ask the next question, which is literally what Jason just said. Um, uh, Brad Nidkowski said, Commander 18 has been fully spoiled. I've already pre-ordered my set, and I don't want to cancel the pre-order on the principle that I wouldn't want a seller to cancel my pre-order if a price spikes. There aren't very many cards in Commander 18 that I need for decks. With that in mind, should I keep the decks sealed to possibly resell in a few years or just buy the singles that I need? At current prices, this would be around $30. Or are these decks expected to stagnate due to being bad, and should I just go ahead and bust them open? Thank you for listening. So I don't, I don't think it's super efficient to bust them and sell them right off the bat, right? Yeah, I wouldn't bust them and sell them, but I think that even like really bad commander decks can get expensive over time. The red-white one with Kalemna, the one that everyone hated, is the one to buy now a few it, years later yeah it, i mean it's i mean didn't it just get reprinted in the commander anthology yeah, yeah that, that didn't really money commander anthology really did do it didn't do anything to anything it, it it didn't do much to prices but it did give you more copies out there but like it, yeah 
spending 120 bucks on a commander anthology is a poor way to get another copy of blade of selves. Right. No, no, I agree. Yeah. I would, I like, I have a lot of sealed commander products and not like not intentionally because I'm trying to save them, but because I haven't needed anything from some boxes yet. So I just like, I have them in my closet so that when I'm like, Oh man, I really want to build a Daxos return deck. I have the Daxos return in my closet that I can open. So as, as someone who has done that, um, it's very hard for commander decks not to appreciate over time. I think like, cause the new cards don't get reprinted very quickly. So those are the kinds of things that are likely to drive the prices of, of the decks, which is why, uh, is it fiery confluence and blade of selves are in the and Ursus incubator and uh, Gisela. Like that deck was actually kind of nuts. Yeah. There's like, we, we can look back at this and, you know, like a couple years and been like, man, there was an enchantress's presence in the Bant deck that like that card hasn't been reprinted in four years. Now it's like $25 or whatever. Like, that's the thing that could happen. Not saying that it will happen. Yeah, but, I don't like, think that's the right card to choose. I think that's one of the only ones where the demand was already being satiated. And the only reason why it was so expensive is because uh, it was so rare and it just had only been printed once. And I think them bringing this many copies in, I think this is a card that a lot of people knew about and it only sees fringe play in Legacy. Um, Do you so. want to know how many times I've played in Chances' Presence that people had to ask me to read it? Really? Like, it's a card from Onslaught. Nobody knows anything from Onslaught. Everybody in my area, especially yesterday, like we had like 60 people for EDH last night, for EDH night, and they all had EDH rec pulled up. And I didn't I didn't even like plug it. It's just like they all know <laughs> good. good. They, they they all know exactly like uh what the top cards are for each deck. Right. And and I'm not saying like there are there are people that are more informed than others, right? Like the people that go to your LGS and play commander with other like rando people are probably going to be more informed than the people that are just buying the deck and then playing with their friends at their house. Right. It's a good so, point. So I think that there's a lot of the times there's like cards that get printed or, or reprinted that people are like, oh, that exists? I didn't know that. And then they decided they need more of them than they originally thought. And Presence but, isn't that much of a staple. It's not in the top 100 green cards. It's in about 2,800 green decks, which is less than Miri's Guile and just more than Sandworm Convergence yeah. in, in terms of like just enchantments. In terms of green cards, it doesn't even break the top 50, so... Uh, I mean, what I'm saying, what I'm there's, saying is, there's there's like a moderate amount of demand for it, but I, I don't I don't know if it's one of those cards that like everyone was like, oh, thank God this got reprinted. I think it can regain some of its value, but this will probably be sub ten dollars for about a year. Okay, so I don't know. Pick another one that could be expensive. Like, is well, Bear th- Umbra good enough? Is that a card that could be twenty five dollars in four years? I think Bear Umbra is, it does the exact same thing as doubling season and that oh, you can get these yeah. super cheap for a week or two. And especially on the arbitrage market, like for example, training grounds is like 50 yen uh, forever in yeah. Haruya and you just scooped them all up. Doubling season was 2,800 yen on Haruya. And like, that's what they're buy listing for now. When you convert that to USD, um, you, you already could have made a pretty good profit on doubling season and you're going to see the same thing happen with Bear Umbra just on a longer time frame. Bear Umbra's in twice as many decks as Enchantress's presence. It's the fifth most played green enchantment. 
and for players that can't afford sort of feast and famine, it's another way for them to untap their lands. And like, that's like the Timmy sort of thing where people love doing that. And you can, uh, you can combo, you put it on Hellkite charger or something like that. And you can just kill somebody You can kill everybody if they can't block it. Yeah. Um, so that, that's definitely one where I think there's going to be a, a greater financial return. Uh, yeah. Next question about Commander. Steven Kessner asks, nice, tight episode last week. With the release of this year's Commander product, EDH rec data, and a bit of time, we will start to see people's preferences for decks. Is this a time where foil and non-foil copies of specs make sense, as some will want the cheapest copy, and others may want to bling out their new deck? Who the, I, everyone's like... <sighs> I, I really think people overstate the demand for foil EDH cards. I, I really yeah. think that it's overstated. And uh, everybody argues with me because they're like, well, I saw a foil Hagura the Stillwind on eBay, so therefore <laughs> everyone's foiling out their stupid ninja deck. I I don't I don't buy foils as specs, and sometimes like the multiplier makes it like if if a if a two dollar card turns into four, a four dollar foil would turn into like sixteen. I, I still I, I feel like it's such a pain in the ass to sell foil EDH cards. So I don't know. I feel like they'll probably sell eventually because you've got all of EDH them, you know, vying for like your 10 copies. Mm -hmm. So you'll probably do okay, but I, I think the demand for foils is overstated. I think people tend to buy foils as specs because they're intellectually lazy and they want to dodge the reprint risk personally. That's why I think people do it. Yeah, I, I, I also agree. I don't like foils for most cards. Um, if you're going to buy, if you want to, like, in the future buy foil EDH cards, I would almost exclusively buy, like, Masters reprint set foils when they're worth nothing. Like, if you bought Cyclonic Rifts from Modern Masters 2017, when the foils were, like, $15 or whatever, that probably would have been good. But, like, don't buy foiled ninjas because like there's not even enough to make a deck <laughs> yeah if you and everyone's going nuts for ninjas i'm like there are like 15 ninjas total unless you there's not even there's not even that total. many there's not even that many there's like nine and yeah. the, no, some of them are not very good or some of them were actively bad people are like you can damn xenograft and conspiracy and like and amiibo well, change does that matter? you're, you're jamming anything... you don't have enough creatures for a deck so, right, so the fact yeah. that I think though they could give us some more ninjas in the future, but like this was such a dumb card to print. I really don't understand it because if there's no plan to go back to uh, if it's like, oh, hey, the ninja in here signals that the next place we're going is, you know, uh, Kamigawa. Great, but that's not going to happen. They'll never take us back to Kamigawa. Like Mara was actually equivocating on his blog. If you if you remember, if if anybody reads that or has it summarized for them by the nerds on Reddit. He's like, could we just have some of those mechanics and characters and say we went back to Kamigawa? Like, he was like, we will not sell a single fucking booster pack if we go to Kamigawa. But is there any way we could just pretend and give you Hagura, the Planeswalker or something stupid like that? And then you guys just pretend we have, you know, we'll give you a GTA reprint or something like that. Could we just pretend? So they are so reluctant to go back to Kamigawa that this ninja being printed doesn't even signal we're going back there anytime soon. So it just was such a weird card to print, and it's just another thing that people have to be upset about. Honestly, I think that we, 
we will get ninjas on another plane before we go back to Kamigawa. Oh yeah. I I think that like something like Ixalan will happen where they they will just have a job title that is ninja and they will have a bunch of ninja cards but it will not be Kamigawa because nobody wants to play with soul shift cards and nobody wants to play with Bushido cards cuz they're not actually as fun as you thought they were. Spirit and Arcane though. I would like enough Spirit and Arcane decks to make like a a Celestial Kieran deck. That would be cool. No. That would be pretty dope. Just yeah. just, just play just play Spirits. Yeah, Soul Shift was such a good mechanic in Modern Masters 2, Jim. <laughs> Honestly, they just didn't reprint any of the bad Soul Shift cards. Like, there are a couple that are pretty good, but like you don't want to play the the was it like I think there's one that's like a, a like eight mana one one with soul shift eight or some shit like that. Like no, it was a one mana one one with soul shift eight. Okay, whatever. If you know what I mean. It's just like a, a stone unplayable card that when it dies gets you probably another stone unplayable card. <laughs> like it, it just wasn't a good mechanic for the most part. Like it was weird. You had to build your deck around your biggest things dying after your small things, and then like. Sometimes you got some card advantage, but I I don't know. I, I played Kamigawa Limited and Standard, and it was not fun. Yeah, it makes sense. I played Kamigawa Block Constructed, and that was fun. <laughs> cool. Well, that's because you didn't have to play with Mirrodin cards at the same time. Yeah, you didn't have cards from a better block outclass in your Kamigawa stuff. Yeah, that's that's very true. You didn't have to worry about Arkbarn Ravager killing you on turn four. <laughs> All right. Well, it looks like a lot of the other questions we've already answered. There's about four more questions about what we think about each commander deck and stuff like that. Do you guys want to get into our uh, credit winner of the week? Sure. All right. So our credit winner for the week that didn't ask about commander um, is Nathan Klein. Uh, he asks, hey, aristocrats, what is the dollar value and or card inventory threshold one should consider before opening a TCG player storefront. My guess is, in most cases, a seller is better off selling cards through eBay, Facebook, or through a buy list. But I wanted to hear your thoughts. So, what is that's, the yeah? What is a, the dollar value? A few grand, and I wouldn't sell anything small initially because you can't set your um, your shipping fees. shipping price. So at first, you're going to be like. I want to be the cheapest, but I can't sell this $2 card for $2 or $2 shipping because that'll make the card $4. So you're like, maybe I'll make it a nickel with $1.95 shipping and then the card will sell for two. And then someone buys a ton of cards for you from a nickel each and you get real frustrated. So I would only sell cards above $10 until I had enough sales that I could pick my own, uh, my own shipping price. And that takes a long time. So... I would bear that in mind that you can't just throw everything up. So it's not even about the dollar value of your collection. It's about the dollar value of the specific $10 and up standard cards you can put there. You have to have a lot of those and uh, a lot of patience. And then once you can pick your own shipping price, you can list whatever, you know, and you can play with the fact that there's a $2 minimum on orders and put stuff for a buck 95 to make people have to buy a second card from you, stuff like that. You can do whatever you want at that point, but You're starting so out, bad. You need a lot of ten dollar stuff to to not get screwed by shipping, and uh, it's it's maybe a, a grand, I guess, just to to crank your level up to level four. Um, 
but I still think that TCG players uh, is probably better than selling on eBay. eBay used to be a lot better than it is. I've done both, and I, I think if I got started again doing one of them, I would do TCG player. Yeah, I I have some experience. I'm I do sell cards on TCG player, not very often, not very large quantities, but I definitely had a hard time getting the the required like feedback and completed orders so that I could change the shipping because changing it to free shipping and then just listing the cards for whatever makes it so that you don't get screwed if people order a bunch of cards from you. Um, but then you also don't have to worry about like the person's like, Oh, I'm not going to order this $2 card with $2 shipping from you. Like you actually get to sell things to everyone. That being said, I, I agree with Jason's plan Buy a bunch of, you know, try to sell a bunch of cards that are, high enough that you're not going to get messed up by the shipping costs or just don't list very many cards at once. Um, I, I built a lot of my TCG player, like a sales data on like pro tour weekends by selling stuff that was on camera, like stuff that I already owned or stuff that I bought for my LGS. I would just resell it there. So like if I had a bunch of copies of something that I was speculating on and it turns out that like after all the fees, I would make like 50 cents per dollar on each copy. I would just list them all and hope that people would buy them in, in the weekend. Um, other than that, like you can put more expensive things like judge foils or just like obscure foils on TCG player, but it's hard to sell them because people don't buy them very often. Um, what I would recommend, though, is if you're going to do this, try to list cards right as um, kickbacks are starting on TCG Player because people buy a lot more stuff during them. Uh, it doesn't cost you any extra money, but people will purchase more, so you won't have to worry about adjusting your prices to make it the lowest. Um, if people are interested in buying those cards, they will buy them during that time period. A lot of people I know will wait for that. Um, a lot of times my store will have like no sales for a month and then like a set comes out and that weekend is like a kickback and then like random things that are not even in the set end up selling because people wait for that now because they, they've come to expect it. Yep, makes sense. Um, personally, I would just try to get like 10 cards that are above $20 because anything less than that and your margins aren't great. Um, like... And a lot of times, as like Jason has recently found out, like selling on Twitter is really easy. Uh, there's like certain hashtags that you can use, and then like random people will see it and they'll just buy your cards. Um, and that's I, what, especially yeah. weird foreign foil stuff that I can't really per se list on TCG Player and stuff that I think that the like there's such a weird margin between TCG mid and TCG low where I'm not gonna. Like, I want to just do, sell TCG low, be the cheapest, make the sale. But if there's, like, $15 between TCG mid and TCG low on something like uh, like um, Ancient Tomb or something like that, I'm just going to throw that up on Twitter. So that's Makes another sense. option. There's the high-end Facebook group for higher-end stuff. And maybe at the LGS, you want to trade a bunch of your $10 cards into a $50 card and then get $48 for it in a high-end group versus trying to sell all that stuff and get six bucks after fees on all your $10 cards. You know, there are ways to uh, approach it and, and be a little bit smarter, but I mean, I was selling 50 cent cards on eBay and I was happy doing that. Having, you know, 60 orders go out to the post office each day. That was uh, something I did for a while. So it really depends how much work you want to do. 
the more work you do with anything magic related, the more money you're going to make. It just depends what your time is worth and what type of cards you want to sell. And how you prepare for this. Because let me tell you, if you are going to buy like three to five envelopes at a time or bubble yeah. from like Walmart or whatever, you're going to, you're going to, you'll just like spew money for no reason. Right. Um, as much as it sucks to like buy this all at once, but like I would buy supplies, for example, in bulk, like, Go to like Costco and buy stamps. Go to Amazon and buy like enormous amounts of bubble mailers and envelopes, and make sure you get the ones that are self sealing because God, your fucking finger or your thumb or whatever you're gonna lick the envelope with is gonna be miserable at the end of it. You like, lick with your thumb? Well, you put like <laughs> water on your thumb and then put it on the envelope. I don't think the verb for that is lick, but okay, yeah, yeah. that might be some well, like, Florida thing. You you lick with your tongue, <laughs> but you you could apply moisture with your thumb. I guess that's called the know. Tallahassee shuffle. When you, <laughs> <laughs> I would I wouldn't know, but that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, um, but yeah, it's a it's a good question, um, Nathan. Um, and we had a bunch of people say, "I don't use Facebook. How can I leave a comment? Just email our. Uh, we have email, right, Jim?" Yes. All right. Email that. I don't know what it is, but Jim can tell you. Or get Facebook. If you're old enough to watch this podcast, you're old enough to still want Facebook. Yeah. Jim, what's our cartel email? Really? Yeah. Man, really? you guys aren't used to pitching your own stuff every week. It's kind no, of no. It's we don't have a Patreon. We don't have anything to plug. It's well, if you did, to... you could say go to Patreon.com/slash Brainstorm Brewery, for example. Um, yeah. That would be how you could pitch the thing. Uh, yes. Yeah, well, Jeremy doesn't want to take money from people, so. Correct. Uh, except his customers uh, when yes. his prices are too high. Yep. Seven dollar uh, address. Let's go. The the email address is cartelaristocrats at gmail dot com. I know you're so surprised. So uh, if you don't have a Facebook account and you want to leave a comment, you can just email that, and we'll alternate every week to uh, make sure that everyone's getting chosen. Can you can you not promise something? We're definitely not going to do. Jim promises to alternate between email and. Gathering magic. Yeah, uh-huh. I definitely didn't do that. That's um, nice. Yep. I know. Uh, so you guys want to move into pick of the week, or is there anything else that you want to talk about this week? Uh, I guess we can do pick of the week. All right. I'll go first because I don't want to get this stolen by Jason because I don't know what he picked on BSB this week. Uh, my pick of the week is Bane of Progress with the hmm. enchantment deck coming out. I've had a, a huge uptick in customers. Once again, anecdotal evidence uh, asking for this card as a way to hedge against any crazy enchantment deck that may come out. Um, I don't know if there's been any articles or stuff on this card, but it's a card that got reprinted once, uh, has been stagnant around three to three fifty, and this could easily just hit five to six bucks in about six months' time as more and more people find ways to deal with enchantment decks. Even if the deck isn't good, there's still people that are going to build it and you're going to play against it. And this card feels good re- resolving against stuff even like Doretti, Um, if they don't have a way to get everything back on the battlefield. So it's just one of those cards that is starting to become ubiquitous in my local area. And it's something that I'm going to be adjusting my buy price and sell price on as the card uh, has more demand. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, I'm building the enchantress. Oh, I have it built. But I'm like, I'm making it Estrid instead of Rabidia Soul Singer, so I really don't appreciate people trying to play crap like Bane of Progress against me at all. So you know what you should just do is do what I do and play five color enchantress, and then like 
15 of your enchantments are indestructible, and it doesn't matter. Or you can just blow up everybody's land so that they can't cast enchantments. That's a fun strategy, too. That is a great strategy. I usually do that after I have enchantments in play. <laughs> I hope you beta progress me, and then next turn I cast Replenish with the uh, the Colossus out and oh, double creature's that, power 40 times. That's disgusting. Bird of Paradise. Yeah. Well, not a Bird of Paradise, per se, but something... Sylvan Safekeeper or something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you're gonna you're gonna do it to your Mesa Enchantress and just get them. Yeah, the Mesa Enchantress has zero power, so doubling zero twenty times doesn't really get there. Oh, it doesn't give it any power at all. No. It doubles it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> none of the none of the enchantments. You gotta play like he- Dictative Heliot. Femurf Enchantress is a two too. Yeah. Oh. I mean, or you could just play Yavamaya Enchantress and actually kill people, because that thing will be enormous. There you go. Yavamaya Enchantress with Nylea to give it trample. Get in there. All right. Who wants to go next? Uh, uh, I didn't pick this as a pick of the week. This is just sort of general advice that I've been... Uh, I think the the deep glow skate of this set is Treasure Nabber. This uh, was pre-sold at $4, sold out immediately. It's around 8 to 10 now. I think Treasure Nabber has room to go up, even at 8 to 10. It's in the Sahili deck, and there's not much else in the Sahili deck that's that exciting, uh, except Sahili's Directive, which I think is underpriced at 2 bucks. So I kind of think Treasure Nabber, with the fact that it's, it's really good, it shuts down all kind of Paradox Engine shenanigans. Uh, it borrows Mana Rocks. If you're playing KCI in your deck, so you just borrow the rock and never give it back or you borrow a mind stone or commander sphere and just sack it um this is gonna hurt a lot of people people are talking about playing this card in vintage uh i think that treasure never is the best card in the set and i don't think this is an eight dollar card i think this is a 15 to 20 dollar card easily so i kind of think we're gonna look back in a couple weeks and be like wow that was pre-selling for four bucks how how do we all miss it well we miss a card every single year whether it's uh blade of selves or it's deep glow skate or it's because Star City doesn't editorialize with their prices. They just throw everything up for four bucks and everything that sells out at four, they reprice at eight. So I think Treasure Nabber has demonstrated that it is not a five dollar card. So if you can get them for seven or eight bucks, I think you absolutely do it. This is a card that even vintage players are talking about. I don't know how good it is, but it's just something that's being discussed. I yeah, mean, I mean, you bring I... this out of the board and they're like, oh, I can't the, the paradoxical outcome deck literally can't beat this card. Wow, I didn't even think about that. That's kind of gross. <laughs> this is like this is and and the fact that this is like a a color that doesn't often get like hate cards that are this good is another thing. It's like you you don't this is not a white card. Like I assumed that this would be like a white creature, right? Like this is the kind of like hate bear style thing that white creatures would usually get, but it's red, so you can play it in your like more budget friendly decks, I guess. But yeah, I like it. I think it's one of the better cards. Uh, my pick this week is Exploration. Uh, I mentioned already in the cast, but this is a card that's going to go into two of these decks at the very least. Um, I can't. I can't see how this stays twenty three dollars. It's already gone up two bucks in the last week, and that's not from specifically commanders people, but the spread on it is pretty low, and there's about to be a Legacy Pro Tour this weekend, which 
not saying that there's like got to be a ton of people that buy into lands, but if like you were on the fence about you know buying the last couple of cards for that deck, uh, exploration is extremely necessary and could see a, a a pretty good price increase. And they really seem to be reluctant to reprint it because they put it in conspiracy. And they could have done it again since then, but they just like don't like to print cards that let you play extra lands. It's like I don't understand. Like I think it's just like blue time warp effects. They just like don't like to do that either, and I don't know why. Yeah, good mm-hmm. point. That's why they still haven't printed Oracle of Moldia. <laughs> I'm so mad. That should have been in <laughs> the land. So many opportunities. Deck. So many opportunities. Yeah. My card is thirty dollars. Thirty five. Oh my! Why? Why is it so expensive? The foil's a hundred. Someone tried to sell me one, and I was like twenty-five dollars. Like remembering its old price, and they're like, uh, "Channel Fireball <laughs> Pios is 50 I'm like, "What did I just do?" So, <laughs> I am probably gonna sell mine this weekend. Now that I know that it's a hundred dollars, yeah. Like, I am. I'm excited to buy a lot of copies of it. Like, I'd rather at this point just sell them and buy a bunch of Azusas. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't understand why they haven't reprinted it yet. I think it's just one from thirteen to eighteen. That's another really good spec that's been paying off for people. Was it ever thirteen? I've never seen it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was thirteen at some point. Let me check stocks while you're talking. Okay. Well, anyway, my pick is exploration. I never seem to have enough copies of it. Uh, Once you play it in one green deck, you're like, man, I should play this in all of my green decks, and then you do. Um, I think it's better than versioning usually, but. It's the kind of card that I think should have been in one of these decks and isn't and will be quite expensive quite quickly. Yeah, market was 15, which means I saw them on Facebook for 13 on like the sick deals page. Oh, okay. That's a little bit different, but yeah. Just something to keep in mind. All right. Where can people find you guys? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. Um, you can find me at GP Orlando um, in two weeks. Uh, I will be there Friday for most of the day and Saturday for like half the day. Jason. Super. Um, like I said, I write for MTG Price and Gathering Magic. I'm the content uh, manager for EDH Rec, so check those articles and the EDH Rec cast podcast out. I'm on the Brainstorm Brewery podcast. And the Money Draft Podcast, and uh, just kind of hang around Reddit and tell everyone what dipshits they are. So you can find me all over the interwebs at Jason Alt on Twitter, uh, Facebook, etc. I'm uh, I'm prolific. You know, if you can't do something well, just do a lot of things half-assed. So that's the plan I'm on. Nice. I um, find you everywhere. I find you in the hockey subreddit. I find you in the <laughs> MTG Finance subreddit. It's just wherever I go. It's, oh it's man, Jason. I was talking with Cody who. Jason knows, and I, I think Jim knows, but I am ready for some hockey, man. It's time. Let's get back to it. Uh, the offseason is too long. Even uh, even though we get to watch the Ottawa Senators fall apart in real time. Yeah. Oh, my God. The Ottawa <laughs> dumpster fire has been the greatest reality TV show I've ever seen. Right? So if, if you guys, if you care about hockey but haven't seen the news today, Mark Stone asked the team for $9 million and they yeah. came back at five. I don't know what the arbiter is going to say, but like if Mark Stone leaves, that team is absolutely boned. Yeah. Oh, I man. mean, they already are. They're going to trade Carlson. They're not going to have anybody on that team that is a real like hockey player. Like 
Dude, it's don't have a mean girlfriend and have her sit with the player Ooh. one. I think that's what we learned. Yeah. I I can't wait to see, like, there's going to be, like, a Florida band story about the girlfriend doing yeah. some weird shit with some other guy. Like, it's going to happen, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell people. If, that, that franchise is also not very good, but yeah, it well, is something. If you want to see me cry about the Blues starting off so well again and then just falling flat the second half of the year, you can follow me on Twitter at MissouriMTG. You can find us on uh, Facebook at Cartel Aristocrats. You can find us on Gathering Magic, iTunes, SoundCloud, and um, on Twitter at Cartel underscore Finance. Um, Ed and I will be at Gen Con. I'll be at the Pro Tour this week, so I'm doing both. Ed and I will both be at GP Orlando as well as uh, Japan Eternal Weekend. So if you guys are stopping by, just like Minneapolis this last weekend, we'd love to talk to you guys. Uh, Thanks again for coming on, Jason. And as always, we'll see everyone next week. Have a good one.